Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this roundtable discussion, we're going to be discussing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3. Now, we're going to do this in two parts. Mm -hmm. And the first part is going to be the first half up through episode 10. Mm -hmm. Through the winter hiatus. Through the winter hiatus. My sister and I have just finished uh, marathoning that. And we figured it'd be good to record on this part because it may be a couple of months before they, we, before they, you know, air all the others and we watch all the others. Yeah. There are a few shows that we tend to uh, fall behind on as we're trying to keep up on other ones. And frankly, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is one of the ones that we've kind of intentionally fallen behind on. Well, it's one of those shows that really, as you watch the plot points kind of stack up on each other mm-hmm. and build on each other, it plays really well. Versus watching it an episode a week, certain things just kind of fall through my mental cracks. They have a lot of plot lines going on through the first half of this season. They've got whatever happened to Gemma at the end of the last season. Yes. Where the portal or the monolith or whatever swallows her up and it's a portal to another world. We've got um, Grant Ward rebuilding Hydra. Yes. We've got the whole Inhumans mm-hmm. thing going on. Which they really took in a, a different direction than I expected. Yes. Because um, I thought it was going to be a, a hard-to-push recruitment. Of Inhumans? I was expecting that too, and it's really surprising how few new Inhumans we really get to to meet this mm-hmm. half of the season. Yeah, this was more of a, how is the fish oil that uh, mm-hmm. the Terrigen? Terrigen mists. Yeah, yeah. that. Um, <laughs> I, I almost got it right. Oh, yeah, you're close. Uh, but how did that fish oil gain into the market and affecting people? And turning them into the Inhumans, etc. How did the people who were affected adjust? Or did they? It almost seemed lo- like, though, the Inhuman plot line just was almost backburnered in favor of the ACTU, and I forget what that stands for, that was chasing the Inhumans. And yeah. it's another, you know, government organization that, that S.H.I.E.L.D. is having to deal with. And there was more about that mechanic almost than the Inhumans. Yeah, I thought we would spend more time with the Inhumans versus the people trying to chase and corral the Inhumans and figure out what to do with the Inhumans and the competing theories, if you will, on what to do when an Inhuman is located. Do we put them in a medically induced coma or do we rehabilitate isn't quite the word for it, but do we give them therapy and help them cope? But really, we only saw a couple of Inhumans in these ten episodes. But there was a lot of implied. There was, but that's my point, is more of it was implied than we yeah. actually got. I mean, we've got Sky, who's now going by Daisy. We know she's an Inhuman. She's a core member of the the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. team. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a given. Mm-hmm. Lincoln, that we'd gotten introduced to last season, mm-hmm. he shows up as recurring. Mm-hmm. Um, we get Lash, who is one of the major threats for this half of the arc. Yeah. Um, And then... Joey. Uh, Joey is the other one. He was the main one that they they actually early on kind of uh, uh, I don't say capture but acquire mm-hmm. protect. 
Uh, and then by the end of the this, this half of the season, they've they've recruited him successfully, and he's a useful member of the team. And we have the three at the apartment. We have them, but we never really see their powers much, and they were just throwaway characters. Yeah. We really, aside from that one scene, they don't factor into the story. We really- The only other one we really get for any length of time is the one working with Hydra. Yes, and- The telekinetic. Um, and the one with access to the social security database. Who gets the rash when Inhumans are near him and was working with Lash. Again, that was pretty much a single episode and they're gone. True. But they were almost incidental characters. But we had more of him than just the one that the only time we saw was when he was floating in the coma gel. And we had no clue how did the ACTU get him, etc. I was expecting to see more of them as legitimate ongoing characters. Yeah. And by and large, we really didn't get that. In most cases, we were doing good to know what their powers were, if they had a name, much less what it was, and in one or two cases, did they have a code name. Yeah. Lash was really the main one for the arc that was a new uh, introduction or whatever of sorts, and kind of the reveal of who he was. And I was very disappointed by who he was. I didn't think that his- And we're going spoilers, so we can say Well, yes, but- I don't think who his inhuman personality was matched his human personality in no. any way. And I think they really did a better job of that with the ones we saw last season and even with uh, Daisy. I would agree with that. And I'm pretty sure Lash is from one of the more recent inhuman comics uh, that is around the time of the Terrigen Mists going through the Marvel Universe and the comics and such and played a similar role. But in most cases, the Inhuman version is just a powered version of who they were before. They may physically change, but it's not like a different persona. Yeah. Whereas with this character, it completely was. Yeah. And it, frankly, was kind of disappointing. Yeah. And they left the status of that character very much in limbo mm -hmm. as to, you know, will he be able to show up in the next half of the season? Yeah. I mean, with Daisy, her powers, to me, they really fit with somebody who went through the foster care program and all of that stuff. She had no control in her mm -hmm. life, no stability. Okay. And when you think about it, her power has everything to do with stability and control. I did like the one scene where she essentially catches the head of the ACTU. And softens her landing. Softens her landing with the powers. I'm still mm -hmm. not quite sure how that would have worked. Because at one point with the powers, she was, you know, shaking things apart. Well, and that's the thing, is that she can control vibrations of the air. And they had talked about that last uh, last season. So she basically created not quite an air funnel, but an air pillow, if you will. And yeah. slowed her fall. It just seemed like she sh literally should have been shaken up by that. Mm-hmm. Well, she seemed emotionally shaken as opposed to phys physically shaken. Well, she just spent the day with Skye yelling at her about how she was treating humans, and here Skye Daisy is, is yeah. saving her. Yeah. So they had some, some good moments, and that uh, uh, head of the ACTU was played by Constance Zimmer, mm -hmm. who we'd seen in Boston Legal? First season, maybe? <sighs> maybe. In some other stuff. She's one. Check her out on IMDb, because I know I've seen her in at least half a dozen shows, and every time I see her on screen, I'm blown away by what she's doing. She did a terrific job with the role. Yeah. And her kind of second-in-command or whatever, we had seen that actor on 
Agent X. Agent X. They had one or two other people. Uh, the one who played the telekinetic we'd seen on Hawaii Five O. I thought that's who that was. And I'm trying to think of somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So they they brought in some some new people. They did some nice stuff with uh, Rosalind Constant Zimmer's character right, that- over at uh, the ACTU, and it was believable the way they played out. She didn't know she was working for Hydra. Mm-hmm. Well, and the relationship between her and uh, and Coulson mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. They. They did a really good job making her a character that that pushed my buttons and I didn't like her, but I enjoyed that aspect of her because she was the rival to Coulson. Exactly. She felt like a rival, an equal of sorts, mm-hmm. somebody on his level. Yeah. And somebody who ought to be his ally, but wasn't. And you just kept enjoying disliking her because you knew Coulson's going to come out on top. And this is going to work out. The whole concept of these sorts of shows is who can you trust, who can you not. Yes, yes. And he really wanted to trust her, but kept wondering if he could. Yeah. And the way they were playing back and forth with each kind of almost infiltrating the other side or whatever, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was... She may be the first character I've seen in a long time, though, where I was aware the writers are trying to write a character they want me to love to hate. And I felt they really succeeded on that level. And they were very much trying to walk the line of, do we as the audience trust her or not? Yes. And they played fair. Yeah. You know, very believably. Um, And again, a lot of those scenes, not only did they work well, but they gave material for other characters to kind of, you know, question Coulson on. And and Mm -hmm. it it had a, a, a dynamic throughout the team. Yeah. That was uh, fun. And while technically she was working for uh, Hydra. Yeah. Which is an aspect that I'm not really, you know, overall loving about the series, although it's classic S.H.I.E.L.D. from the comics, it didn't feel like the crap they're fighting Hydra again. Exactly. Yeah. And they've done a lot in this half of the season to expand the Hydra mythology. Mm-hmm. The, the backstory goes a lot further back than World War II. Mm-hmm. And this whole other planet that we get to, um, who's from those cities, you know, how did, I think we get a pretty good idea of how that race met its downfall. What was the deal with the big Hydra logo? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of questions and it goes from where was Gemma to, oh, she was on this planet to they get her back. They've got to go back. You know, it had multiple payoffs over the course of this half of the season. Well, and Gemma's storyline was great for Fitz. It was great for both characters because it toughened Gemma up a bit and she needed that. Mm-hmm. And it really focused Fitz and put a fun spin on their relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved the scene where he's like, we're cursed. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. the, the universe keeps pulling us apart. They threw you halfway across the galaxy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And. Well, and I loved the scene where she was mad at him for helping her and for being good about this and for just being the great guy she's always known. She's like, why can't you be angry also? Yeah, when she has essentially asked him to reopen the portal so they can go find this other guy that she'd kind of fallen for on the planet. The one who helped save her life while she was there waiting for Fitz to finish saving her life, if you will, and get her back here. And I thought that had really good payoff 
in this 10th episode. Yeah. Where he's the one who goes to the planet, meets this other guy, and how all of that plays out. Yeah. And I felt that the 10th episode, which is, again, the the winter hiatus uh, break, had a sense of conclusion, but also a sense of this kicks things off for the next part. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it ended on a major moment that it's like, well, that changes things. It's funny because it ended on a sense of victory that was also a humongous sense of downfall. Well, it was funny because I had thought Coulson and team had had just a major victory, like you said there. And then we get that tag scene at the end. Oh, by the way, there's this. It's like, well... That totally spins things. I mean, I see what you're doing. I see where they've gone. Yeah. You know? Um, well, it's funny because the music during the uh, scene where Coulson and everybody comes out of the pod on the airplane mm-hmm. of, see, we survived. Something about the music told me this victory is shallow and hollow. And I don't know what it was to the music, but it wasn't as upbeat if this isn't a pure victory. It's funny because in that scene, I was focused more on the blocking. Mm, yes. Where Gemma's looking in the side of this containment unit for Fitz as he's kind of come out around behind her. And she's also looking for Will. True. You, she's watching, you know, Fitz is coming out, everybody else is coming out, and she's looking in that unit just hoping there's there's that one more person that she's just not seeing him. But since she hadn't seen Fitz, it also read like, has she lost everyone she yes. loved kind of a thing. Yes. Um, again, I think the relationship they've done with those two throughout the series has been great. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the second half of the season has both of them in a better place, gets a little bit more to the classic uh, stuff we had first season, mm-hmm. but just adds the romance to it and, and moves it forward some. Yeah. I thought it was a, a good half season for Mac. Yeah. Um, He's been a great character that they added in. They positioned him well, if a little kind of spontaneously at the beginning of second season. Mm-hmm. Him helping um, Fitz through his recovery and stuff gives them a good connection. Uh, Mac's backstory with Hunter and Bobby gives him a good in there. His interactions and history with, with Coulson Mm. gives him a good kind of connection there and he's been paired up with sky daisy you know a, a lot mm-hmm. so he, they 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 integrated him into the team very well yeah whereas hunter great character um a little less well positioned in the team in not some respects in, not as well used this season this so far and there were a few times when i was actually yelling out at the screen and i'm sure i was annoying you with change his wardrobe well, and yeah, there are a few times. I think that was intentional, though. But he was almost the comedy relief to a degree and did a few things that really motivated the the plot line. Mm. You know, when he's going after Ward and Ward threatens May's ex and he's like, well, you know, stuff's going to happen and just goes after, you know, that was a major mm. uh, turning point or whatever uh, in in the series particularly with how Hunter is seen by a lot of the other people. Yeah. Because they're like, dude, that was reckless. Yeah. And some of them call him on that. Well, and it's funny because it's not like he hasn't been reckless all along. He has. And Bobby points that out. I'm used to you. Yeah. But that's the sort of thing that also makes Bobby and, and Hunter fun and able to be pulled out into this other series they're planning on doing. Yeah. 
And I think Delroy Lindo is going to be in that other series. I'm not sure who else. Interesting. So whether we need two S.H.I.E.L.D. shows, mm. I don't know. But well, so far, they can make it work. The ten episodes of this season so far, to me, have felt stronger, more coherent, and just as an arc, better thought out and better written than I felt about season two. I would agree with that, because there were aspects of season two where I thought it was a bit schizophrenic. Let's go this way. No, no, let's do a left turn, go this way. Oh, let's let's 180 back over to there. Mm -hmm. This had, for a while, I was thinking it had too many different plot lines, but they pulled them all together very nicely mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah. What's going on with Hydra impacts what's going on with the Inhumans goes, you know, obviously impacts the ACTU, which is going after the Inhumans. Mm -hmm. um, it impacted, you know, everything that had gone on with Gemma and the other planet and stuff. So I felt they really tied things together well mm -hmm. versus second season. It was wishy-washy as to what direction they were going. And it again, it didn't have that cohesiveness. Yeah. So I definitely think they've stepped up their game on the writing. Yeah. And it felt like they had a few things set up early on that paid off uh, in so much as it's not like they were winging it. Mm. They seemed to know where they were going. Mm -hmm. uh, and I appreciated that. Uh, I think specifically the whole uh, plot line with the uh, the alien planet and stuff. Um, I'm hoping someday we get to know what planet that is mm. and how that would play out in, or interact with Guardians of the Galaxy or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought they did a, a, a good job, by and large, with keeping things focused, but having enough threads going on to, to have things to bounce back and forth between. Mm -hmm. Plus, you've got all the interpersonal dynamics and things like that. So it just, like I said, it felt a lot more cohesive. Yeah. About the only thread that they really threw out there and didn't either keep in play or deal with, and I suspect you're going to tell me it ties to the cinematic universe, is when the ACTU decided, oh, let's go ahead and panic the public. Let's tell them we have this alien threat, etc. There was a lot of, of talk during the course of this, this half of the season about the destruction of New York, uh, the, the other city that was uh, knocked out of the sky by the Avengers, uh, all the destruction in DC and Captain America Winter Soldier. So they're referencing, uh, Captain America 2 and the two Avenger films and stuff of just, we've got powered people. This is getting dangerous. Yeah. And of course, the next movie coming out is Captain America Civil War. Well, and here they're putting out APBs for any inhuman who does, who their powers activate and someone gets hurt. It's, Clearly, they're a threat with no control. They're going to kill everyone they come in contact with, be terrified of them, and call this 800 number. It's a widespread knowledge that there's this alien thing going on, and people with powers are dangerous. Yeah. And that's what is going to wind up motivating whatever they're calling the Registration Act in the movies, where even the Avengers need to be kind of controlled. Yeah. Now, how much of that's going to impact the S.H.I.E.L.D. show, I don't know. Because S.H.I.E.L.D. is also kind of still underground at this point, for the mm. most part. Very true. But they've definitely set the seeds with the Inhumans and those things for what they're going to do in Captain America. I just, I don't know if we're going to see any character from this over there or vice versa. Well, and I have feeling it was simply setting seeds for that, but we had that one episode particularly that was very strong on the put it up on the news, have oh, the yeah. president address the world and panic people and stuff. 
And Coulson, you know, getting mad at Rosalind, saying, is creating a panic among the populace really the best way to deal with what's going on? But then we find out that she's getting advice from one of the heads of, of what's left of Hydra. Yeah. Or former heads of what was, you know. Yeah. Because Grant is the de facto head of Hydra. Uh, Which is terrifying when you yeah. think about it. I'm sure during the second half, timing around when uh, Captain America Civil War comes out, there's going to be mention of, yep, I knew it would come to this, and and what whatever the repercussions are. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that turns things around or makes it worse for people with powers, I don't know. But by the end of this half of the season, we've got three powered individuals that are working with S.H.I.E.L.D. in a cohesive manner. Mm-hmm. referred to at one point as Secret Warriors, which, of course, was the name of this more or less team in uh, in the comics. Different yeah. members, but same idea. It was what uh, was referred to as a, uh, it was a Caterpillar crew of basically go find some of these people and recruit them before they become the big heroes or whatever, as they're emerging, mm-hmm. and then kind of sculpt that, shape that. Well, and I thought they did a great job with Joey. I wasn't terribly fond of the fact we'd kind of drop him for a few episodes and then come back to him. But what I liked was when we did come back to him, and he was talking about the fact that he had realized that by controlling this metal melting power, basically, Mm -hmm. he could create things. Well, and as a construction guy, he could do things faster than other crews. He could do demolition or construction. He well, that he was, had a very positive spin on it. That was the thing. He was focused on the fact that he could build something in yes. hours that would take a normal crew to make in days. And the psychologist, uh, Dr. Gardner, mm-hmm. was saying, so you could destroy a building immediately. He said, only if I had to. But the point is I could create things. And I loved that That was the approach that S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daisy were taking with the people that they were trying to help with these emerging powers. Is not just that it's about control and restraint, but it's about finding the positive and the good. What can you do with these things? Yeah. Well, it's kind of the X-Men school philosophy, if you will. Yeah. Except it's Inhumans with S.H.I.E.L.D. versus X-Men with Xavier. Because totally different narrative universe in the movies. Yeah, but... I, I liked that positive focus on creating, not destroying, etc. Yeah, I like that a lot, but that was also one of those things where when we see the cocoon training f- facility and stuff, he's the only person we even see in passing. Yes. So. There were a few places where I actually called out to you, couldn't we have paid for a few extras because they implied a security detail, but we didn't see a single person. To me, that's just... Uh, uh, logistics it's 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 incidental but when you you have this entire training facility for training in humans and we only know of one that you've got yeah that doesn't make sense i mean at least reference a few others yeah you know it's not like he's the sole person the entire facility's for so there are a few things like that that, again i was expecting some more in humans i liked what we got the new jet was cool um they didn't have as many cool toys as they've had in some past seasons True. There was less inventing of toys going on, more understanding of the portal. Yeah. But typically, again, that's where Fitz and Simmons would have brought that to the table or yeah. Trip back in the first season with yeah. the old school stuff. I miss Trip. I, I think, do. you know, somebody that somebody that's got that long time, you know, shield 
aspect, if they could find somebody like that to bring in, that'd be good. Yeah, I agree. I think it it would be a fun dynamic with Coulson, and as they're building a new shield, have somebody who who's really in to that, but also, but this is how the old one did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like what we're getting with Hydra. Grant's doing the whole new Hydra, and you've got this other guy coming in saying, no, no, this is how classically it's done. Yeah. So it's it's a fun dynamic. But it's one of those shows that I agree with you that binge-watching works better, at least for me, because they've got a lot of plot lines going on, and just it can be a few episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was an entire episode where all we get is Gemma on the other planet. Yeah. Every other plot line paused for that week. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is fine. It makes sense. It was the right way to do it. But if you're doing it on a week-by-week basis, it's hard to keep everything, you know, in play, uh, in my mind at least, whereas marathoning it, it, it played out very well. Yeah, it was a great immersive experience to go through those 10 episodes basically within 36 hours. I would say within 24. We started last night. <laughs> okay, I was being generous. This is a Saturday we're recording it. We watched it on a Friday. Some <laughs> of it and then continued today. But my point is, just, we didn't break it up by that much. We didn't do it in one fell swoop, but we did in two bursts. And it just layers up on top of itself very nicely. It's not one where you binge watch it and you go, hey, wait a sec, you just contradicted yourself. Hey, wait a sec, you just (laughs) told me something I know is a lie because I just saw the previous episode. You end with one scene and then you start the next episode and they do a previously on on that very scene and it's different. Oh, that's a pet peeve of mine, totally. Same here, it's cheating. Yeah. What I liked about this was it watched like a book. Yes, yes. There was a sense of a beginning, a middle, an end. There were obviously things that happened last season that set this up. Things that this is setting up for the next half of the season. You know, in general, I would say Coulson gets the best lines. Just like, um, oh yeah, I'm on Tatooine. Yes, when he's on the other planet and stuff, he just gets a lot of great comebacks and one-liners. He's a terrific actor. He is. And this is just the greatest character for him. But one of the episodes had uh, Peter McNichol mm-hmm. as the oh, yeah. Asgardian. And when we first see him, he's just chilling out in a prison cell in Norway, I think it is. A pretty, pretty good prison cell. Yeah, he's got his books. He's got three meals a day. Looks like he had Netflix or whatever. He had a TV at least. Yeah, you know, and they're asking him what's going on. He's like, haven't you heard? It's bad to be an alien right now. However, if you're in jail for drunken disorderly, clearly you're not an alien. Yeah, he, he was laying low on a government's dime, essentially. But then he breaks out by ripping the door off, setting it aside. Guards come rushing in. And he just kind of shrugs and points to to Coulson. Coulson of, he did it. I know. And Coulson's like, "Jeez, they've got <laughs> fun writing like that." Yeah, um, they got good mileage out of Coulson's arm, which I'm still not thrilled that we Darth Vadered him. What got me was just how almost useless it was. And I'll admit, I was very puzzled at the end uh, of the tenth episode when. He's used it to, because it gives him a certain degree of enhanced strength. Um, he didn't want to keep his murder weapon. Ah. Uh, I, I, I was see- wondering why he left it on the planet or tried yeah. to leave it on the planet. I'm seeing where you're going with this, and I'm just chiming in with, you know how so many people will, once they've used all the bullets in a gun to kill somebody, 
they they chuck it aside. They don't ever want to see that murder weapon again. I get that, but it was his hand. But he knows Gemma will give him a new one. She hasn't done it yet. Well, he's on his third arm. All while she was gone. Oh, well, that's a good point. Hmm. I wonder who's giving him arms. I don't know. And I did like the one scene where we saw his uh, previous arm. I like that too. I would like to see Mac having been the one who designed the hands. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good point. I will admit, I want him to get a new glove. Yeah, it just looks big, blocky, and it's always kind of outstretched with the fingers kind of spread out awkwardly. Yeah, the, the huge rubber garden glove or dishwashing glove, whatever you want to call that. No, that's not the my gauntlet style. almost, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm hoping they kind of get over that and move on. No sign of Lola this this half of the season. That's very there true. There was reference to the flying car. That's true. Uh, what other thing? None of the the really high techy stuff like the uh, the hologram cube or whatever computer thing that he had, that uh, Coulson had. Now, the closest we came was the little drone that cloaked itself. And that goes all the way back to um, first season or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think one of the last times we had seen them was around the time Peter McNichols episode when they tied into uh, the second Thor film. Mm. Yeah. So, they've got a lot going on. They they It's funny because it's still... Uh, doesn't I mean it's in the cinematic universe and they're referencing aspects of it, but it doesn't feel as tightly tied in. Yeah, nobody guest starred or really uh, other than McNichol, who is not in any of the movies, but isn't as Guardian at least. So you yeah. can claim it ties into the Thor movies. Um, it doesn't tie into anything that's going on with the Netflix stuff. Agreed. But they're also at least not sitting in New York the whole time. Yes. I mean, they're bouncing around and, and whatnot and uh, pretty much based elsewhere, I think. So I can at least buy that. But I look at how the DC stuff is just always bringing in, you know, characters here, here, and here, or whatever, from other stuff, or at least referencing them or whatever. And with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're really not getting... Well, the other thing is with the DC shows, because they're so firmly anchored predominantly in one city mm -hmm. definitely with flash arrow a little to a lesser degree because they go to the island etc okay but you know in arrow we know about the glades versus downtown they've gone to a great length to to bring their world alive and orient us i guess for me though they've brought in so many other dc heroes and villains in those shows mm -hmm. um it's a very rich world yeah. in the DC universe, and in the this Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it seems somewhat isolated. I mean, there could be some second or third level potential Avengers, Defenders, uh, mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, obviously you can't do the X-Men or the Fantastic Four. Maybe you could do some Spider-Man related characters. Probably not. I get that. You could get recon photos from uh, Jessica Jones. Well, Yeah. Um, or at least reference some of the lesser used Avengers or whatever. Um, or some other Inhumans, even. Yeah. There were opportunities for that. Um, really the closest we've come was, uh, and this goes back to early stuff, uh, Deathlock. Yes. And again, no Deathlock this entire half of the season. Yeah. Which is fine, I'm not saying go back to it, but make it feel more part and parcel of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Whereas it seems like every episode we 
Every week we watch the DC stuff, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, and uh, Legends of Tomorrow. They're referencing some of the creators, some of the characters, whatever. I mean, we've gotten most of the satellite-era Justice League uh, showing up in live action in one way, shape, or form. Between Martian Manhunter, uh, Red Tornado, Supergirl, the Hawks, Adam, I mean, on up and down. Whereas, we're not getting mm-hmm. even classic S.H.I.E.L.D. characters other than the couple we've got. Now, they're getting to where those are more in the comics and stuff. These guys are... And that's fine, but it seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. There's plenty of, of street-level things you could do that don't need massive special effects, but they've shown they can do the effects. So, yeah. they should just earmark, here's a handful of of C-list or whatever, not, you know, the Iron Man or whatever mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even the level right below that with War Machine or whatever, but Others that they could be bringing in, maybe the, the villains or, or what, you know, Absorbing Man that they did at the beginning of the second yeah. season. Um, make it feel like it's a, a really part and parcel of the Marvel Universe, cinematic universe that they're doing. Yeah. I think they're doing a, a decent job. It's a show that's easy to, to put off to marathon. Again, it plays well that way. Um, it It's fun to watch, but it's also one that if I go... Six months between binging and stuff, not that big of a deal. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's stronger this season than it was last season. I would agree with that. And I think part of it was last season was so all over the place that it made putting this half of the season off very easy to do. Yeah. But this half of the season really worked well. It's only going to be probably another two months or so before they finish off airing all the stuff for the rest of the season. At which point we'll try to, in a reasonably timely manner, uh, go through those mm-hmm. and do the second half of this episode. Yeah. So anything else? Nope. Cool. All right. We have just finished watching the two-part finale of uh, season three of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've kind of recently been marathoning from the... Uh, the winter hiatus kind of forward, so the episodes from, like, March through whenever they finished. Um, we're, of course, on uh, uh, DVR delay by a bit. They finish off the um, Inhuman storyline, uh, not finish-finish, but at least do a lot more, kind of close off what they've done for the season. They finish off what they were doing with the Inhuman slash Hydra God Yes, story yes, line. the Hydra God storyline is the better way to put it. Um... Obviously, we're going to have spoilers in this, and the first of which is they kill Ward yet again. <laughs> I was wondering if he would stay dead this time. Well, you know, it's funny because I was going to say yes up until the tag scene at the very end. Mm, that's true. Because we get, we'll get to the, the whole arc and stuff, but as they like to do at the end of every episode is have that little kind of tag scene, the post-credit equivalent. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the season... They kind of flash forward six months, make it seem like one of the characters is on the run and two are chasing it down. Uh, but then after that, there's another scene which seems to introduce the uh, life model decoys, mm. which could be a way to take a past person and bring them back. Yeah. Which I'm not saying they need to bring Ward back again. Well, and given who's creating them, would he use that face? Doubtful, but... That's not to say somebody else couldn't get a hold of the technology. True. True. Point uh, to that is uh, Gideon Malik, who's one of the main characters mm. this half of the season. Uh, head of Hydra, uh, up until the Hydra God takes over that role, 
And dethrones him. Pretty much. Um, but he was the type who would take somebody else's technology and leverage it. Oh, definitely. You know, and I felt there were a number of points in the, the this half of the season where they were intentionally misleading us. I mean, this half of the season started out with a uh, flash-forward scene, pretty much, of what's going to be at the end of the season. Yeah. Of, you know, someone's going to die. Who's it going to be? You know, and then there was one or two clues that were physical objects that were getting passed around left, right, and center at the end there. Yeah. Kind of the hot potato. Whichever actor's stuck with that, they get toasted. I'm sure there were a lot of... of, uh, I can imagine there were actors who, when they got to set for those last two episodes, were going through the props they were handed. (laughs) Please, not the death one. Yeah, really. But one of the things that surprised me and, frankly, really turned me off about this half of the season was there were a couple of things, particularly around the way the Hydra God was was killing people or whatnot, where it was just incredibly graphic and gory. Yeah. And needlessly so. Yeah. I felt it, it added nothing to the story personally. It took away quite a bit. So it didn't really help you when I called out, isn't that a scene from a Nickelodeon show? Uh, you can't say that on television. Where he was covered with slime? Yes. I thought that was one of the more sedate scenes. It was, actually. But that was when he was surrounded by the five innocents. Yes. That he had when regenerated they back, from. It's like, that's kind of disgusting. Yeah. With the, uh, the remains. Yeah. But there were a few others where it got even worse. And it's like, you know, I don't need this. And this is, I think, part of why this is a show that tends to... Build up and get marathoned? Uh, build up and get marathoned. Yeah. It's like I don't need to see the the gore on a week-to-week basis. Well, between that and the way they do the arcs. There is an aspect where I think this played out better for us with the foreshadow or telegraph, whatever you want to call it, the death, and then watching through the stuff. Because we've done this in the last, what, three, four days? Yeah. Uh, we Yeah, really, we've been doing the last couple of evenings, watch three or four episodes type thing, and then we hit the finale. Now, I will say one thing that when it first happened on the show i really hated and i thought there can't possibly be any payoff from this that i will like and they did actually have evolution from it and payoff that i did enjoy was uh, colson's arm when he got darth vader i thought that that was just pointless and why you know yes but when they're in the uh the trailer of the one in human potential in human at the time mm-hmm. who later goes on to become inferno mm-hmm um, the place is rigged to blow. He and May have to dive into this this hole uh-huh. that where he had buried an in, uh, inhuman artifact, and the place blows up, and they're protected because. And I thought this was really cool. Yeah. Uh, Phil Coulson's uh, replacement hand that Leo had tossed in some extras had an energy shield in the form of the shield shield. Yeah. And he's like, well, I thought as the director of Shield, I should have a shield. Yeah. What I loved about that was it is something that I think Nick Fury in the comics has had, and it's based on the energy shield Captain America had in the comics. Well, and it fit each character in terms of it. the quip made sense from Coulson. He gets a lot of those great lines, but it also was very much a you-could-see-fits tinkering in the lab with a, you know, I, I could throw this in. And each time they upgraded the arm i was really glad when the black glove went away yeah but what i liked about that shield it goes back to phil colson being a huge captain america fan yes 
And also when the Sokovia Accords and stuff comes down, and it's like, which side do they fall on? Mm -hmm. He falls right in line with Caps. Yeah. So, I'm still finding it harder and harder to believe that Coulson is able to go around with a team of agents as part of S.H.I.E.L.D. for three years now. Yeah. And the Avengers still don't realize he's not dead. Well, you know, the Avengers tend to get caught up in their own stuff. I get that. It's just uh, surprising. Oh, I agree. Because some of what Coulson's doing is not low profile. Yes, yes. Like meeting with the president and things like that. His relationship with Talbot cracks me up. The whole Talbot character <laughs> is just almost a, a, a comedic aspect of the show. I really enjoyed the the evolution in this half of the season for Talbot of the, I don't want to work with you. I certainly don't want to work for you. I yeah. don't want to be the face of whatever you're doing, to kind of coming around to seeing, okay, your methods work. I, I don't like them. To me, the the point, the scene that really underscored your point there was when Talbot has finally gotten a, a tour of the base. Uh, things have hit the fan. They realize what Hive's plan is. And Talbot's kind of freaking out. And he's like looking at Coulson. He's like, why are you so calm? He's like, yeah, I'm kind of getting used to it. See, the scene when I realized, okay, Talbot is finally on board with Coulson's methods work, and he, he's got a handle on what he does, and he trusts his team for a reason, was the scene where he had Talbot doing the video conference. Yes, and... Uh, and Fitz is in the room. Fitz is standing in for somebody else. Well, it was actually the scene right before that, where Fitz is off to the side, oh, out okay. of sight. And uh, is working his computer magic to uh, use the chair to get the size of the body and scale for the uniform and everything is getting the face scan and then gives him the thumbs I up. I think they were also using that so they could do the green screen in the background. Yes. So yeah. get the whole set. And I... It was a good set of scenes. It was. I also liked the bit of this guy is an inch taller than I am. Yes. They get these, the equivalent of the apple crate to stand on. Yeah. So there are... There were some fun moments there, um, and it had aspects of a, a Joss Whedon show in some of those scenes. Again, the sense of humor uh, and things like that. Yeah, it's funny you say that because this half of the season felt more Joss Whedon than anything before this has. I would agree with that. I don't know if it necessarily has more of his input or what, but there were also a few things that felt a little non-Joss Whedon-y because his shows, they tend to have a bit more payoff and stuff like that in terms of plant seeds let them grow and, and yeah. they go somewhere uh creel the absorbing man was used for a little bit and then poof vanishes yeah we get rid of a few agents over the course of the season which was well done but kind of clearing the decks and then particularly with the shield that was something i would have expected to have come into play when they were fighting a uh, hive at the end again yeah you know so there were a few things where there were some missed opportunities but the character evolution and the character moments in terms of, like, Mac. Mm -hmm. Mac had some great uh, scenes, episodes, the one with his brother. Well, the one with his brother worried me a little because I was half expecting in the two-part finale, Mac was going to die and his brother was going to be kind of pulled in as a replacement. No, they can't do that to me. They can bring his brother in and I'm okay with that. But Mac has really grown on me. They can't take him out. I'm still mad about Trip. 
Same here, but with the way the uh, the death token, if you will, was getting passed <laughs> around in the finale, yes, I thought all bets were off as to who who was you know nobody was safe for the most part. It's funny you say that because for the longest time I had the feeling Lincoln would end up with it. It made sense because I think his arc was was ending. Mm-hmm. You know, there were enough things where I think they're repositioning the show for a fourth season. I'm almost thinking it's going to be more, uh, you know, back to basics, uh, powered person of the week. And that would be kind of nice if they went back to basics. Some of the stuff has felt kind of off on tangents. And in some respects, I kind of feel like they've lost sight of what they were. I think they even acknowledged that when at one point Colson was saying that most of what they do is fight things that they themselves instantiated. Yeah. Kind of, they're, they're cleaning up their own messes. Yeah. So getting to a more back-to-basics approach might work. But, I mean, I've heard rumor, uh, and I think we heard it at Comic-Con, of uh, Ghost Rider showing up mm. next season mm-hmm. with the, the Hellfire chains. So when will we get Inferno with this scene, uh, season with a chain lighting it on fire and stuff, it's like, wait, this is a little confusing. Yeah. It's a totally different character. Yeah. So that's something that I wonder... If Ghost Rider is just one of the many characters they interact with over the next season, or if people kind of think it's too much of a callback to Inferno, and I'm trying to think what happened to him at the end of this. I Presumably, he was taken captive by Shield because they yeah still had the uh, the jet. Yeah, we were never crystal clear on what happened when they reclaimed the jet. Yeah, because we pretty quickly fast forwarded those six months. Well, they defeated everybody on the thing. Hive was. In the uh, the Quinjet that exploded, mm-hmm. so yeah. But I mean, they could they can still bring Hive back because he exploded in space. If just one survive, Spec survives, you know. But I thought it was a good season overall. Uh, it had some definite moments. Uh, Clark Gregg continues to do an outstanding job of Phil Coulson. Well, and I thought uh, some of the material they gave uh, Chloe Bennett as Daisy uh, when she was under the sway. Uh, they finally acknowledge some of the things that the audience has been seeing for mm-hmm. two and a half, three years in terms of the you thought I needed a father figure, so you were my father figure yeah. and all those things. And it was kind of the, we know we've been doing these things. We know we've been attempting to be subtle on some of them, but we're just going to walk right up to them, face them and talk about them. And when she was sitting there saying, I'm tired of being pitied, I'm tired of being protected, I'm tired of people viewing me these ways, albeit she's under the sway and she's got that warped perception, but it was an interesting kind of evolution to see her go through. And I loved when Lincoln at the end was saying, I've been an alcoholic, mm-hmm. so I know why you went up to the jet. Yeah, I know what you were really trying to do. Yeah. What bothered me with... Daisy under the sway influence of, of Hive was particularly in the scene in the bar where she's talking to the other humans. She just seemed like a regular self. Yeah, and there were quite a few times when all the people under the sway seemed so much like their regular selves that it was hard to know what the sway was. Yeah. I also take issue with calling the character the, the Hydra God Hive. It's accurate. But Hive is one of the evil groups in the DC universe. That's what I thought based on Arrow. Yes. So I think there's a little kind of co-opting of 
some of the terms. Yeah, it was kind of strange to me. There was one other term they were using, I forget what it was, that seemed to be almost more DC-ish than Marvel. Interesting. But many of the characters they brought in this season were once again tried and true Marvel characters of varying ages. Uh, a number of them are from the uh, the Secret Wars comics, specifically Yo-Yo. I was going to say, I thought they did very well with Yo-Yo. Um, Melter, the, the one with the metal stuff, was a villain he's based on. There may other also be an Inhuman. Joey? Joey. Joey. Um, and then um, Inferno is one of the ones they introduced recently-ish, year or two back, when they first really started pushing the Inhumans on the comic book side. Got it. And a lot of what's going on with that is, I forget if it's which movie company owns the rights to the X-Men stuff. Back in the day, Marvel was hitting hard times. Mm -hmm. Marvel was filing for bankruptcy. Movie studios stepped in and said, well, we'll license a couple of characters. That'll help you out. You're back at about the 80s? 90s. 90s. Okay. Maybe that far back. Some mm. 20 ages ago. Yeah. And the terms were pretty sweet for the movies. Um, companies yeah to the point that marvel really can't get the rights back easily mm, yeah so what's going on is you know and that's why it was a big deal for spider-man to be in captain america civil war they've at least brokered a piece there yeah okay uh, sony realizes folding that in makes sense fox on the other hand with both fantastic four and the x-men stuff is doing well enough on the x-men stuff they're just going to go on their own mm. but what that means is Marvel has less incentive to really promote the characters that Fox is doing movies with. Yeah. Now, that means right now there is no Fantastic Four comic book. Which is just strange. Yes, and silly. But if you're going to focus on something and kind of percolate intellectual property that you want to bounce up to movies and TV, do it with stuff you can do that with, yeah. not stuff that's otherwise tied up. Okay, I get that. But that's also meant that while the X-Men are big enough sellers, they haven't really been downplayed, the importance and prominence of the Inhumans on the, the comic book side has really ramped up. From they would show up once in a while to they now have like three titles going on. Uh, and Inferno is, is one of them. What's interesting is a lot of the royal family of the Inhumans in the comic book side, the core circle, Black Bolt, Medusa, Crystal, Quicksilver... Although he's an interesting uh, case. Lockjaw, uh, uh, Karnak, uh, a few of the others, we just don't see in the cinematic universe. Yeah. Quicksilver is interesting because he is technically not an inhuman. He married into the family uh, through Crystal. He is an X-Men character who later joined the Avengers, mm. which is why we've seen him on both sides of the movie stuff. That's what I thought. And how they can only refer to him certain ways at certain movies. Yeah. It, the, the licensing issues around this stuff is just insane. But it's nice when they bring in some of the characters here. What's different is when they bring it in in S.H.I.E.L.D., sometimes it's very hard to identify which comic character it is. Yes, I can see that. Whereas, say, on Flash, they often show up in something resembling their costume, or at least iconic parts of the costume. Well, and I and would say... And they call them by name. Yeah, that was going to be my point. Because the one you're calling Inferno, he suggested 20 different names for himself, and it sounded like he never picked one. Which is almost a, a nod or mocking of Cisco. Yes. Over on Flash. Yeah. Um... And there was actually a comment of who picks these names, I yeah. think, from uh, Talbot. From Talbot. 
Which was kind of funny. Yeah. So there are things that both Marvel and DC are, are, are doing right and maybe not so much. When Frequently when we watch, especially the movies, I'll comment on the, you know, you can feel like with Captain America. He feels like a product of the 40s. Yeah. Uh, the patriotism specifically, but a lot of the characteristics of the he's an officer and a gentleman, that kind of thing. What era would you peg for S.H.I.E.L.D.? I find it very hard, and part of that is there were aspects in the second half of the season that seemed to be coming close to addressing what's going on currently in American culture and politics, but in America in general. But then it was like they would... Start to address it, and then they'd say, "Yeah, maybe I'm not sure we should do that." When do you think the property of Shield originated? For some reason, my gut says about the '60s. That's dead on. It's during that spy era of of pop culture, if you will. Well, it's a cross between spies and make love, not war. To me, I guess to me, there's a strong uh, cultural similarity influence to Mission Impossible, James Bond. There's definitely that, but there is also the the Inhumans have very much a we come in peace, we're just like you, we're not trying to be your enemy. Yes, kind some of, like of us that are whole bad. Civil rights movement in the '60s, but it captures all of it. Yeah, it's definitely a product of the '60s, and some of what we're getting in the the show is very uh, much a part of that. Some of it is you know later storylines, later aspects. Like with uh, the Watchdogs that we had briefly. That was the other one I was thinking was more of a DC property. But I'm probably thinking Wild Dog versus Watchdog. Well, what intrigued me about that was they they were not a reaction to hate speech. They were their own hate speech. Yeah. But they were not a reaction to hate speech. But they kind of felt like a little bit of what we're seeing in current news yeah. and current headlines. You, know, but they also had a highly irrational, we're our own private militia aspect to them. What I found most surprising about that arc was those characters got captured by the Hydra God and turned into the Alpha Primitives. Yes, I hadn't expected the Alpha Primitives to show up. Only five of them got captured, and then the rest of them just poof vanished. That that storyline and Blake just kind of poof vanished. Yeah. The whole bit with Blake, yeah, you're right, totally vanished. But the Alpha Primitives are the almost the slave class, if you will, of the Inhuman Society mm. back around, I think, even the 60s when they were based on the moon. Interesting. But since then, because I'm not as up on my old school Inhuman uh, uh, trivia as I could be or, or whatnot, most recently they've been based out of the city of Adelan that's a movable city kind of a thing. Mm. That's in the harbor of New York. Okay. Uh, the best equivalent I can think of for you on that city would be Stargate Atlantis. Got it. And like how at the end of the season it's yeah. parked in, in uh, San Francisco, San Francisco Bay. Prior to that, though, it was located, and I forget the order of these things, but at one point in the Himalayas and another point in the blue area of the moon. Mm -hmm. And there was this area of the moon that had kind of a little atmosphere. Mm. And it was just based on there. So periodically... Various uh, superheroes in the Marvel Universe would be on the moon, walking around, able to fight and have battles or whatever, and breathe. Yeah. And it was funny because that area was not that far from the Watcher's home on the moon, and he's the guy who's basically watching everything and, quote-unquote, not interfering. 
Um, know whether we get any of that when we get to the uh, Infinity War stuff with uh, the movies. Don't know. Mm. But uh, it's a very similar but different take on the Inhumans here. You know, having had their city or whatnot destroyed and stuff, it's it's still something that I would like to see this show. Well, they mentioned the Sokovia Accords. They referenced the movie. It still feels like other than those isolated incidents, mm-hmm. it's disconnected. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, there's no reference to anything going on with the Netflix stuff. The Netflix corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent Carter corner of it, and then the movie side of it. You know, there's there's not the connections around that that I would enjoy seeing. Yeah. And I'm not saying they got to go whole hog and go crazy with it. And S.H.I.E.L.D. has done some references, bringed in, brought in a few characters from the movies and whatnot. So they're trying. Yeah. Um, It's just a question of what direction do they go. And it's an entertaining show, but it's, again, S.H.I.E.L.D. is so busy cleaning up its own mess. Mm-hmm. I want to see that change. And I, having spies within. Yes. Who can you trust? Yeah. But I think that's a fundamental problem with spy shows. It invites that storyline. Yeah. You know, the mind control, the who can you trust, who's been turned. Would, how many times has S.H.I.E.L.D. turned out to not be S.H.I.E.L.D.? S.H.I.E.L.D. turned out to be Hydra. S.H.I.E.L.D. turned out to be S.H.I.E.L.D. in a different shape. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is now the ATCU or whatever publicly. The offshoots of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of a thing. The identity crisis of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a little old for me. Um, but that's part of why I want them to... They've got an opportunity to retool the show for the next season. Mm-hmm. And I hope they go in a good direction and I'm flexible as to what that is. Mm-hmm. I want to see more of the comic universe brought in. I want to see these characters again getting a chance to shine. One of the things I did like about the later half of the season in particular was how there was a sense of there are a lot more S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Yes. Than the handful on this core team. Yeah. So that's nice. Um, but it's still, while I enjoy the show... Again, easy to put on the back burner in favor of a bunch of other shows that I enjoy more. Well, and I really think it marathons well. Yes, it does. It's one where it's got a lot of moving parts and a lot of pieces, and seeing them kind of fall into place together, it's easier to keep track of it over three evenings than over 12 weeks. It marathons well, but not as well as like the Netflix shows, which are geared for that. Exactly, yeah. Because I think they're not telling as tight of a story, um, but it's it, network television versus, you know, yeah. drop the season at once uh, 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 streaming service. Yeah. So they're just, they're co- going after different goals. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else is worth talking about in this. I liked the Fitzsimmons relationship in this half of the season. Yes. It finally was where I felt it should have been at the beginning of season one. I would like to see that having progressed over the six month gap that they allude to in the uh, end credit scenes and in a good place moving forward. Yeah. That's a, a fun aspect of the show. Another couple um, was Hunter and Bobby. Yeah. That got a very nice exit from the show. They did. And it's one of those that after, I think, two rounds of trying to spin them off, it's like, well, if this isn't going to work, let's get rid of them. See, I I think that that was the thinking in terms of they gave them their farewell so they could be spun off, but I think they're going to get folded back in. I don't know how, but that's my gut feeling. I I don't know the timing of this versus the other stuff, but 
having watched it long after the decision was made not to do the yeah. uh, most wanted show or whatever it was, uh, it read in that context to me as a we've tried for two seasons, you know, both in the show and as pilot type stuff, and it's not working. Let's invest our time elsewhere. Um, that could be complete, you know, misinterpretation on my side. I think they're fun characters that brought a lot to the show. Mm hmm. And there were a few times afterwards where I felt they had to bring in unnamed S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to kind of do what they would have done otherwise. Yeah. I think they'll get brought back in. I think the six-month jump ahead allows for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It sounds like um, Daisy is in the town her father's in, based on the I know someone around the corner who's good with animals. Oh, I, yeah, okay. That's where she relocated Charles' Got it. wife and daughter to. Uh, there was something about the way the actress who plays Charles' wife played that scene that to me felt like she was manipulating Daisy. Hmm. I don't know what it was, but it was just a subtle little, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you feeling guilty and keep you feeling like you owe us so you'll keep okay. giving us money. I didn't take it that way, but I wasn't trying to read anything into that either, but okay. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I'd missed, I'd caught the reference to the person good with animals, but was lost as to who it was referring to, but you're right, it'd be her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I did catch Colson saying that he would have to report into the director. Yeah. Who do you think the, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. is at that point? There are possibilities. It could be May or Talbot. Those are my two front runners. Uh, I've got a third. Who? Fury. I don't think they'd bring him on the TV show. Well, I don't think screen. so either. But he was the director first time around, so... True, but uh, Coulson sounded like he wasn't going to get to do what he wanted to do once he called into the director. True, true. Talbot's the, the lead choice. Um, then the question is, why is he no longer director? Did he, did he not want to be director? Was something found questionable? Uh, the doctor, whose name I've already forgotten, but the geneticist was saying he'd just finished six months of testifying and justifying, basically. Mm -hmm. So did Coulson go through that same basic process and get found wanting? I think it was a matter of he saved the world and was punished for it. Yeah. But we'll find out hopefully next season. Yeah. We got a little bit of a clue as to what's going on with Fitz and Simmons, but not much. The whole LMD stuff, Life Model Decoy, uh, surprised me there at the end. That was a concept that in the comics was introduced in the very first shield story see it's interesting to me because i was expecting an android type something from him well what what gets me is uh, when we had Patton oswald's character and all of them mm-hmm. i figured well maybe that's a life model decoy but this is implying they couldn't have been because they didn't exist mm-hmm. and in the the original comic book story uh, nick fury has been tapped to be the leader of this group although he doesn't know it just yet and he gets put into essentially this oversized bathtub looking thing they fill it with foam get the impression of him of you know if you even breathe it'll ruin the thing or kill you or something because mm-hmm. it was old school body scanning technology and then they get that they he is about to leave the place and they send out these three or four life model decoys of him in different directions mm. that all get blown up or whatever because, oh, well, they were going after him. The bad guys who apparently know more about what Fury's going to be up to than Fury does. Yeah. He makes it up to the helicarrier, meets uh, Tony Stark, who's funding all this stuff. You know, story goes from there. So it was uh, 
almost a throwaway thing just to show what the stakes were. Mm -hmm. But it's something that could be a lot of fun in the context of the TV show, much like the uh, the the masks for you know uh, disguise that were used last season and then never again. Yeah. Were the drones that were used first season and then barely ever again, although we get one of them again this season. Yeah. Uh, the icers that were a big deal at one point and then kind of faded away to come back. You know, the, the tech side of the show very much comes and goes. Well, there's very much a toy of the week aspect. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I guess the way I would want to see the show from if I were on the behind the scenes side, you want to have enough toys of the week that you could literally do a toy of the week at the stores. Mm -hmm. But you also want to have some iconic ones. The shield badge, the icer, the yeah, the the perennial play toys, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I just don't feel that they're doing uh, a good job on that. But I also don't think it's such a popular property that there's necessarily the, uh, uh, the market for that. Although I think in the collector space, there definitely is. Yeah, that's true. I guess to me, they don't have the equivalent of the phaser, the communicator, and oh, those I sorts agree. of Star Trek widgets. I agree. But uh, they're doing some fun stuff. Um, the effects overall I thought were good. There were a few where we were commenting that it was very obvious they were on a green screen. A few cases uh, not so well done. There was one where, admittedly, it was a good green screen, but it was just a, there's no way that's real. It has to be a green screen. Uh, it was in Russia. Yeah, it was uh, with the Bobby and Hunter episode. Yeah, and that was the one where I was telling you, I'd actually enjoy seeing a behind the scenes of that one, just because it looked like they were laying down maybe five feet from the green screen, but having to act like they're looking out over hundreds yeah. of feet. So it was well done, even as you're kind of chuckling to yourself of, yeah, they're right up on top of that thing. It was it was not that it was poorly done technically, it was, it was obvious that it had to be a technical trick. Yes. And there was just enough of a not perfect on the green screen side to really kind of pop that out. Yeah. You know, not like a border around the figures or anything of the sort, it's just you can't have filmed that any other way in a practical sense. Yeah. Uh, and there were one or two others, like when Ward was taking off in the plane, and they're zooming out from the cockpit. Yeah. Where it's like, I see where they composited that in, because how else would they do it? But it didn't feel quite like where he should have been. Yeah. But, I mean, that's nitpicks. Overall, they do a really good job on the show. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next season, but not in a, I can't wait. It's, again, we may let the first half of the season pile up. Yeah. And that goes back also to my, I think it plays really well when you watch about 10 episodes over the course of a few days and just see all those plot pieces come together. I think I would have been lost on some of the plot points if we had not done it that way. Yeah. Um, I might have lost track that Hunter and Bobby had left or who, like Yo-Yo was when she came back, a few things like that. If we'd been doing the week by week and it had been two months since I'd seen the character. Yeah. And some of that is people were kind of released back after training to go live at home and we'll call yeah. you in with a bat signal on your watch when we need you, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I did too. And it goes towards the caterpill caterpillar team mentality of the Secret Warriors, where in the comic, uh, Fury was trying to tap these individuals kind of before they became what they would become. Mm -hmm. You know, get them at the caterpillar stage versus post-metamorphosis into the butterfly. Mm -hmm. Before they've had the chance to become the superhero or the supervillain, you get them to work for you. 
Yeah. Which uh, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, it's an enjoyable show. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>